Our scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. This is found on page 557 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home as a gift from us. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good is one, as the one, <laughs> as the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, hello, everyone. Good morning. My name is Dakota. I'm one of the pastors here at the Brookside campus. And my family and I have now been here in Kansas City for a whole year, which is crazy. Uh, but it's been really good, and we have loved um, being here, getting to know many of you, and, and being known by many of you. Well, I am really glad and grateful to be worshiping with all of you and um, truly humbled, uh, truly, that I, I get to be here and, and open up God's Word with you. So we're going to get into our passage here in a second. So, um, so let's do that. Let's pray, and we'll jump in. God, you are the Lord of all creation. You're the Lord of all this world. Um, and um, God, we just know that uh, that whatever we see in the world, whatever um, hardship or struggle is there, uh, God, we are not, um, we don't have um, what's in us uh, to respond to that. Um, we don't know how to respond to that, God, but you hold it all in your hands. So we come to you um, today as we've gathered together um, to, to worship you, to hear from you. God, knowing that we need you. God, we need your word. Um, and more than that, we need your spirit to work in our hearts. Um, God, to soften them, to open them up to, to you, to open up our minds, open up our ears um, to what it is that you want to teach us. Um, and when our weaknesses and our failures um, our frailties um, kind of confront us. God, we lean on your strength. God, your grace is sufficient. So may your grace be sufficient for us this morning, 
and today um, as we listen to your word. Um, God, so we thank you for, um, for your love for this time. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So how many people in the last couple of years uh, either wanted to or actually did decide to just stop watching or reading the news? <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell you I definitely wanted to at many points along the way because it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. The world is just so messed up. It is the, the shootings at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and a salon in Dallas, Texas. Um, the church in Southern California, even here in Olay- at a park in Olathe and down the street near the campus at UMKC. We hear about tornadoes and forest fires and house fires and falling trees. We hear reports about abuse of power by state leaders and uh, abuse of power by church leaders. And then there's stuff that is not on the news, but feels even closer to home, much, much closer to home for some of us, painfully close. The sudden death of a child, long debilitating diseases, a loss of a job, a house, a spouse, a marriage, loss of memory, loss of hope. And yet, we ache for a better world. We hang on. We keep living. We keep doing things as if they matter. Making friends, becoming lovers, working, fighting, voting, praying. But why? We have this ache in us that the world is not as it should be, that it can be better and it should be better, that we have a part to play in that. We have this sense that all this stuff that we hear about on the news and we see in our lives is wrong. And it needs to be made right. And looking through the smoke of our burning world under the sun, this is precisely what Kohelet, who's the teacher in this book of Ecclesiastes, um, what he says in our passage and the book as a whole. The world is wrong, and it aches to be made right. But this starts with recognizing that injustice exists. So open with me to Ecclesiastes 9. We'll jump into our passage. If you haven't opened to it already, um, you can open to it in your book, in your Bible. You can find it uh, in the table of contents in the front or just search it on Google. Uh, type in Ecclesiastes 9 and, and it'll, it'll bring it up for you. So Ecclesiastes 9, verses 2 and 3. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil 
and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. There's nothing in life that makes us grapple with injustice like death. Because death comes to all, right? No matter what you do. Injustice exists is just another way of saying that justice in this world under the sun is up in smoke. Now, life, and up, life is up in smoke is, is our series for Ecclesiastes. We're walking through different things that we see. Today, we're diving into justice, being up in smoke. And that's because no matter what you do in life, good or evil, you will still die. Injustice not only exists, but it thrives, right? We look out on this earth, and it looks like injustice wins the game every time. This is an evil, Kohelet says, because the wicked ruler lives a long and plush life, and the righteous humanitarian dies too soon. So what good is it to do good? When injustice always wins, why even try to do good? Well, Ta-Nehisi Coates is a writer and a journalist who's wrestled with this sense of injustice and how we, we can live in the midst of it. And he, he wrote a book-length letter to his son, which was published as Between the World and Me. And so in it, he's grappling with this world, the, the world of the American dream in which he and his son live as black men. And it's a world that's both his own and not his own. Something's come between him and the world. And that something is the dream. And the people of the dream are those who believe that they deserve everything they have. And that others deserve what they have, or rather don't have. And this, Coates says, creates the divide that alienates him from the rest of the world. A divide that says that his black body is worth less than their bodies. Now, Coates is an atheist. And yet, this existential threat of injustice hounds him, demanding a response, demanding some kind of answer that he can give to his son to help him navigate the world. Ecclesiastes is, is wisdom literature, right? So we're in this realm of, of poetics and emotions and art and experience, right? So as we think about justice up in smoke, we can't just dissect it rationally. We need to feel the weight of injustice. And for those of us who are less acquainted with this kind of suffering, like most of us are in this room, we need to learn from those like Coates who know it well and grapple with it daily. So where, did this, where does this sense of injustice come from? Why should we care that a murderer walks free? Why does someone like Coates, who does not and says he cannot believe in God, have this innate sense? It's deeper simply than fear or self-preservation that it is morally reprehensible. It is evil for one group of people to subject another group of people to violence and terror. 
We'll listen to him in this quote talking about this struggle within himself. He's um, remembering, he's retelling a, a time for his son when he brought his son along with him on this interview that he conducted with the mother of Jordan Davis, who was a young black man who was killed for playing, while he was playing loud music. This is what he writes. She, the mother, said that she was baffled by the verdict too, that I should not mistake her calm probing for the absence of anger. But God had focused her anger away from revenge and toward redemption, she said. God had spoken to her and committed her to a new activism. Then the mother of the murdered boy rose, turned to you, his son, and said, you exist, you matter. You have value, you have every right to wear your hoodie, play your music as loud as you want, you have every right to be you. No one should deter you from being you. You have to be you and you can never be afraid to be you. And here's what he says. I was glad she said this. I've tried to say the same to you. And if I've not said it with the same direction and clarity, I confess that it is because I am afraid. And I have no God to hold me up. And I believe that when they shatter the body, they shatter everything. This pervasiveness of injustice screams against the rally cry of the American dream. You get what you deserve. But we don't. Not always, right? Deep down, whatever our faith, tradition, or lack of it, we know we have rights, and they can be violated. So this is why I think the thought of death gives us so much fear and wonder and anger, because death is this thief that doesn't care, it seems random and senseless. It doesn't obey our rules. Read with me back in Ecclesiastes 9 at the end of our passage, verses 11 through 12. It says this, Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Time and chance happen to all, Kohelet says. And that feels wrong. So when our natural sense of justice is violated, what can we do? How should we respond to injustice? Does it do any good to do good in the world? To resist evil? Yes, because what Kohelet sees under the sun is not all there is. True, no matter what you do, good or evil, you will die. But what you do in life matters eternally because there is a judge. And this judge is your judge because he's also your creator. And this is true for every one of us. This is the foundation of true justice. Right? This is the basis of the modern notion of human rights, isn't it? If you think about uh, our Declaration of Independence of our country, it was written into it. Right? We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. 
And just in case you thought this was uh, some modern innovation of the Enlightenment era and progress, the medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s taught that justice is the debt one creature owes to another. And in case you're now wondering if this is only something that stuffy theologians or modern nation states think about, uh, God made this claim thousands of years before in the down-to-earth wisdom of the day-to-day life collected in the book of Proverbs. Right here in Proverbs 14, verse 31, it says this, the one who oppresses the poor has insulted his creator, but whoever honors him shows favor to the needy. The one who oppresses the poor has insulted his creator. And Kohelet is in full agreement in um, his kind of own introspective and downer sort of way uh, in, in a section on justice that we kind of skipped over until today. Kohelet, um, this is in chapter three. We're going to read in a second. Um, Kohelet grounds this idea of death coming to all in our common creaturehood with all of God's heavenly fleeting creatures. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 3, starting verse 16. I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. All are from dust, and to dust all return. So all of us creatures, human and animal alike, are destined to dust. And this is the conclusion Kohelet makes in the face of injustice. And this is one part of the answer to injustice. We are all God's creatures. So to harm, oppress, or murder another is to deny this basic fact. Right? And in the end, it's not only dishonoring the sacredness of another life, it's also dishonoring the giver of life. And acknowledging that your life is given, that it's given by your parents, your ancestors, by the created world that sustained us all, all of which is ultimately given by God because he made all of it and he made all of us. Acknowledging this is, is the first step to some sense of hope as we face this world of death under the sun. Because life, life is hevel. It's, um, it's smoke, it's fleeting, try to grasp it and, it, and it runs away from you. But it's no less a good gift. And it might actually be more precious for being like smoke. And similar to chapter 3, here, Kohelet, um, throughout Ecclesiastes, gives us glimpses through the smoke. Similar to what we just read. So Ecclesiastes 8 is just before our passage. Here's uh, verse 12 through 13. Yet, I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. 
And then the author, at the end of the book, it's the author who's kind of compiled all of Kohelet's teachings into the book that we have as Ecclesiastes. The author gives his kind of stamp of approval on this message that kind of pierces through the world, um, to our world under the sun. Here's what it says at the end of the book, chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, which this is why people were created. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This has profound implications for how we live on the earth here today. Far from it not mattering what you do in life, because you're going to die anyways, the reality of judgment actually means that everything in life matters. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner, he writes this about God being the judge of all. Here's what he says. In the context of life's injustices, an apparent lack of meaning, the fact that justice will at last be done is not bad news, but good. In Ecclesiastes, we have faced the appalling inference that nothing has meaning, nothing matters under the sun. And it is then that we can hear as the good news, which it is, that everything matters. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Judgment of evil in the world, in ourselves, is God's answer of eternality of lastingness in response to this fleetingness of life under the sun, under the reign of sin and death. And this is what the cross is all about, right? Jesus took every ounce of judgment that we have deserved, that we will ever deserve for thoughtless words, hateful thoughts, or careless and loveless ways of living towards God or towards others. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, the one being in the whole universe to ever not deserve it, gave himself up to the dust of death, like the rest of us and for us. And on the other side of judgment is the resurrection, right? The resurrection is this battle cry of a global revolt, uh, resistance against this reign of death. So Esau Macaulay, Esau Macaulay is the author of Reading While Black. He's a New Testament professor at Wheaton College, and he's written beautifully about this hope of resurrection in the face of death, as he experiences it as a black American. So he wrote this article in his New York Times column titled, What Good Friday and Easter Mean for Black Americans Like Me? Here's what he says. The depiction of the afterlife in which we live apart from our bodies, gives physical suffering the final word. If a black body can be hanged from a tree and burned, never to be restored again, what kind of victory is the survival of a soul? The mob, then, would be able to take something that even God cannot restore. I'm often asked what gives me hope to go on, given the evil I see in the world. I find encouragement in a set of images more powerful 
than the photos, videos, and funerals chronicling black death. The vision of all those black bodies who trusted in God, called back to life, free to laugh, dance, and sing, not in some disembodied spiritual state, in some heavenly afterlife, but in this world remade by the power of God. This is the hope that black Christians throwing their bodies at wave after wave of anti-black racism so that their children, even if only for a moment, might rest a while on the shore. For them, belief in God's power over death fueled their resistance. In an interview I listened to recently, Isama Kali said that the resurrection gives him defiant joy. Defiant joy. What a word picture for life in Jesus' kingdom, right? This is where Kohelet points us to kind of through the smoke, even if he doesn't grasp the fullness of resurrection life that Jesus brings and that we bear witness to today. So in light of this, in light of the risen sun, rather than merely under the sun, here's two, two responses for us. Number one, enjoy your ordinary life. And number two, work with hope. Enjoy your ordinary life and work with hope. So enjoy ordinary life with eyes of faith. Simply living, just living ordinary life in the face of its fleeting nature can be an act of resistance to the reign of death. Even when the cursed ground, while it, it receives the sweat, sweat and blood and toil of our kind of heavily fleeting lives, God still calls the work that he's given us to do good. He approves of ordinary life. He made it. It's his idea. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Yes, the ground is cursed, and our work in this world is inevitably going to be toilsome and hard. But still, still the ground gives us delicious fruit, doesn't it? God has given us this multitude of witnesses to his love and power, even power over death itself. And this rightfully leads, I think, to not to despair, but to a celebration of life. Look at verses 8 and 9. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain, which is heavy, fleeting life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil which you toil under the sun. So friends, enjoy the good everyday gifts God has given you. These are, in Old Testament scholar Ellen Davis's words, the sustainable forms of pleasure that are within realistic reach for most people. You can probably think of them. Think of time with family and friends. The fragrance of flowers in your backyard, the, the sweetness of fruit and wine and chocolate. Visits or walks with your neighbors, getting to know people across the way or down the street or across town. what we make in the world and the worlds that we make that either alienate 
or unite people across differences. They matter. Because people matter. Our bodies matter. The earth and its creatures that we depend on matter. And the marginalized lives that a dominant culture says do not matter, well, they do matter, simply as a basic fact of God having made them. So eyes of faith see and receive God's world and God's image bearers as given for our joy and his glory. So second, work and hope. Work for the coming kingdom here in your particular place now. Read with me verse, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. There is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. If you are in Christ, you are already a new creation. You are not going to Sheol, this place of the dead in Hebrew thought. Because Jesus, as the first fruits of the resurrection, he's kind of the, the beginning of the harvest, he's already let out many captives from the slavery of sin and death. You are a citizen of a different kingdom. You're an ambassador of that eternal land as you live in the midst of this fleeting world. Well, John Perkins is a Christian community development leader whose life is a testament to working in hope. In his autobiography, um, Let Justice Rule Down, he tells the story of how he became a follower of Jesus after running away from him his whole life. So he didn't think that Jesus had anything to do with the pain and the struggle that he and his community experienced. And then when his son started coming home from church, he noticed a transformation happening, and he had to learn more. And this eventually led him to reading the Bible more and more and finding in Jesus, a God who loves us so much that he both saves us from our sin and empowers us to sacrificially love our neighbors in our neighborhoods like Jesus did. I had the privilege of attending an interview with him a couple years ago, actually. Um, and John Perkins is, is definitely getting older and slower. But the refrain that he just kept on coming back to was we gotta love each other like Jesus did. We gotta love each other like Jesus did. So when everything matters, our work, our whole lives, what we step into when we go home from church on Sunday and what we step into when we go to work on Monday, all of it is enchanted. It's filled with eternal significance simply because it's done before God. Coram Deo. Coram Deo is is this Latin phrase that means before the face of God. And we can work in hope before the face of God because God in Christ turned his face towards us, came to us, died for us, and now is risen and lives and reigns and shines through what we do. So what do we do? How should we work? Well, I think there's going to offer two kind of vital ways, I think, we can work for justice in response to God's justice. Two ways, so here's one. One is the work 
of repentance. It says humility quorum Deo. It's humility before God. This is both the first step towards life in Christ, and it's also the continual step every day afterwards. It's this turning away from sin and away and towards God and facing up to this reality of our sin before a holy and just God who has over and over consistently showed his heart for the poor and the marginalized and the weak of our world. So if we let ourselves be honest, if I let myself be honest, we most often do not imitate his heart as God's image-bearing representatives. So before we can work for justice in any kind of meaningful way, we need to honestly and humbly acknowledge that it's not their problem. It's our problem. It's my problem. Here's a second uh, way that we can work. The work of lament. This is a solidarity quorum Deo. Solidarity before God. Because lament is essentially a crying out before God about the injustice that we see in the world. It's a way of practicing um, solidarity with those who are hurting, who are oppressed, who are marginalized. Even when, this is key, even when we may not personally know what that is like, we can cry out to God with them. But we do need to see injustice. We need to acknowledge it and face it before we can do anything um, and before we can have solidarity before God with others. So as a church, we're going to have an opportunity to do this, to, to face together the injustice of racist urban development policies that have happened here in our own backyard. So the Dividing Lines bus tour is an immersive experience that we're going to do together on a Saturday on June 4th, coming up where we're going to load into a bus and drive around Kansas City and listen to a narrative that describes the history of how our city's kind of socioeconomically segregated neighborhoods came to be. And then afterwards, together, we're going to discuss and debrief over lunch, and then we'll learn, um, while we're there, we'll learn ways to connect with uh, our church's outreach partners who are already doing work in the city. So sign up online and save your seat on the bus. There's actually only 47 seats on the bus this time, so sign up, um, and if we fill up, we'll be sure to do it again. Um, do it again next time. So if Jesus is with us, and we're with him, then we have been called to live like him, imperfectly, with many failings along the way, but still more and more submitting to Jesus, to the work that he's doing in the world. And really, this is the only work of justice that will sustainably, ultimately work with lasting significance. Because in a world where meaningful justice work is hijacked by polarizing conversations about justice and where cancel culture is this justice tool of choice on all sides, we need a better tool. We need a better judge. We need a better gospel. Here's New York pastor Tim Keller. It is only 
in Jesus that we see how radically and literally God identified with the poor and oppressed. He was born to a poor family. He lived among the marginalized and outcast. His trial was a miscarriage of justice. He died violently, naked and penniless. And so the Son of God himself knew what it was like to be a victim of injustice, to stand up to a corrupt system and be killed by it. Jesus' death on the cross and the good news of a new self-sacrificial life with him is the only narrative that makes any sense of the sense of justice that we have, while at the same time making no room whatsoever for the domination of others that we are so prone to. Friends, may we receive this gift today and every day and become witnesses to it here in our place in every area of life, from womb to tomb until the day that we rise again with the Lord Jesus who has gone before us, who has died in our place, who was raised to life and now reigns in heaven, who will bring all things into judgment. The Lord, this Lord is he who gives his spirit without measure, the water of life without price by his death in your place. So entrust yourself to him. Entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Would you do that today? If so, know this. Though you die, you will surely live. And when you have this assurance of life, the Holy Spirit will empower you to live as you have been called to bear, to reflect the image of the God that we read about in Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Let's pray to the God of justice. Lord, God, you, you have spoken in your word. God, give us um, the softness of heart, the humility to see um, to see the ways that we participate in the evil in the world. God, to not just look out on the world and, and um, decry everything that is evil as we should, but also to look in and see um, the need in our own hearts for your grace. God, your grace is sufficient for us your power is made perfect in weakness. God, we need you. God, we thank you that you will make all things right in the end, even as we work today knowing that um, it feels hard. God, but we have a hope. We have a hope that goes beyond death, beyond this world under the sun. And so we can work today. God, help us, strengthen us, um, to do the work of repentance, to come before you um, and to do the work of lament together, um, grieving with those who grieve. God, we thank you that you have um, already given us the sign um, 
the physical symbol, uh, the reality of new life because you rose from the dead and you offer that life to us. God, thank you, Jesus.